On March 11, 2011, my family's life changed dramatically when an earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear disaster wreaked havoc on northeastern Japan, where we had previously served as missionaries. We were called back to serve in disaster relief, recovery, and development from 2011 to 2016. My name is Jonathan Straker, and I'm a minister at the Calgary Church of Christ in Alberta, Canada. What I want to do in this series is offer a few suggestions for how we can navigate, serve, and minister during the COVID-19 pandemic. These suggestions are based on five guiding questions. Number one, what are we grateful for today and what hurts? Number two, what resources has God gifted us with? Number three, what are the most critical needs right now? Number four, what is God leading us to? And number five, how will we get there? We began this series with a brief orientation that in terms of COVID-19, we may still be on the front end of a very difficult situation, but that God's people have been through difficult times before, that God is certainly with us in this situation, and that we're headed to something better. Then we looked at gratitude and lament as two practices to fend off despair and bitterness. Last week, we talked about something called asset mapping, leveraging the gifts God has given us in our response to a crisis. So today, let's talk about needs. This disease is killing people, a lot of people. And they're not dying because of COVID instead of something else like the flu. They're dying because of this in addition to all the other causes of death already out there. To use an example of statistics from the States, COVID has already killed more Americans than the Vietnam War and almost as many as the Vietnam and Korean Wars combined. Our economy and our finances are in shambles, and we won't even really know the extent of it for months or maybe years. The Great Depression has now become the benchmark. Social distancing has resulted in a rise in relational issues. On the one hand, we have folks grappling with terrible loneliness because of utter isolation, on the other hand, we have a spike in domestic violence because of overstressed people who are crammed into too little space for too much time. And all of this is resulting in a host of mental health issues. Our physical, financial, social, and mental well-being are threatened. Physical, financial, social, mental. But the situation is so vast and so complicated and so dynamic. How do we know where to focus our attention? Well, some things will come right to your doorstep. There will be issues that none of us can ignore. We'll deal with those as they come. But for the rest, we need a framework for performing a sort of ongoing triage. In the medical world, a triage nurse assigns degrees of urgency to wounds or illnesses to decide the order of treatment of a large number of patients or casualties. This is common practice in disaster situations. It's happened physically in this situation already. Medical personnel in Lombardy in North Italy, for example, or in New York City, have had to make some pretty awful decisions. 
In worst case scenarios, triage includes deciding who lives and who dies. That's not what I'm talking about. At its core, triage is about prioritizing needs. It's a helpful way to think about prioritizing our ongoing response, even to non-medical needs. So I want to give some categories for thinking through this, and then I have a couple admonitions, and finally, I want to suggest some starting points. This is Maslow's famous hierarchy of needs. Now, if you're a mental health professional, a sociologist, or missiologist, I know it's not a perfect model. I'm aware of that, but it's a good starting point. Maslow believed that there are discernible layers of need or desire or motivation common to the human experience. He also suggested that until the more foundational needs have been met, it's not that productive to talk about the higher order needs. There's been some pushback about that, but again, it's a useful starting point. So let's take the four areas I mentioned a moment ago and run them by Maslow. Physical health, financial security, social and relational needs, mental health. They fall neatly into the first four layers of this pyramid. Now let's take those same categories and run them by someone a bit earlier than Maslow. Jesus, through Luke's eyes. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, Jesus issues four sets of blessings and woes. Looking at his disciples, he, Jesus, said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how they answer, their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jesus is speaking into a culture that marked blessing and well-being as signs of God's favor. He's challenging that. What he says here is pretty counterintuitive. It doesn't mean that our goal is to be poor or to be hungry or sad or hated. It means that if you find yourself in any of those categories, there's some encouragement. God is on your side. And if we find ourselves on the other end, wealthy, well-fed, laughing, or well thought of, there's some reason to be cautious and humble and to take a hard look at our motivations and what we depend on. In the parallel in Matthew's Gospel, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, these take on a decidedly spiritual flavor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Luke doesn't spiritualize it as much. The blessings and the woes are pretty visceral. Not blessed are the poor in spirit, just blessed are the poor. What really interests me then in the context of assessing critical needs are the categories. Poor, rich, hungry, well-fed, 
weeping, laughing, rejected, well spoken of. Financial well being, physical well being, mental well being, social well being. Sound familiar? So, what if we thought about the needs around us in these categories? Now, back to triage. I said earlier that a triage nurse assigns degrees of urgency to wounds or illnesses to decide the order of treatment of a large number of patients or casualties. The Canadian triage and acuity scale has five levels that looks like this. On the most critical, level one, is resuscitation. This is people who are at death's door. They need emergency care immediately. Conditions that are threats to life or limb. On the other end, level five, are the non-urgent. Conditions that are non-urgent or that may be part of a chronic problem. They need care, but they don't need care right this minute. If I were to apply that to our four categories, I would do everything I could to list as many possible needs in each of these quadrants. So it might start out looking something like this. And then I would organize them according to several key questions. What's the worst case scenario in each quadrant? Which needs can wait, which can't? Who in our community is experiencing these losses? Who is at the greatest risk? What agencies are already addressing some of these needs? How? Are there ways that we can partner with them? Finally, are there gaps in service? That might be a good place to start. Then I might think about tangible needs versus intangible needs. It's simpler to focus on the tangible needs, but sometimes addressing the intangible needs is more effective. I knew a man who worked with street kids in inner city Houston. At first, his group spent all their time cleaning up kids, but they had very high relapse rates. However, they found that if they could give a kid hope, she began to have the strength to overcome on her own. If you remember our asset mapping questions from last week, it's no accident that we begin with story, values, and community. These are the intangible areas that empower tangible results. So here's a suggested rule of thumb. Where there's an acute need, prioritize the tangible because people can't think about anything else when they're about to starve or suffocate or lose their home. Remember Maslow? In chronic situations, prioritize the intangible because it's very difficult to overcome a tangible problem like chronic unemployment or addiction without powerful intangibles of love, hope, and community. Now I want to pause and say a special word about anger and love. In Japan, we worked with victims of the earthquake and tsunami, a natural disaster, as well as victims of the nuclear disaster, which was a man-made crisis. The difference in the emotional responses between the two groups was amazing. The victims of the natural disaster suffered. The victims of the man-made crisis were mad. The anger was palpable. 
when I look at this quadrant of needs, it's going to be tempting to point the finger at those who are dealing with a different quadrant as the cause of my problems. For example, I might be angry at those who implemented the social distancing rules for wrecking my finances. Or I might be angry at those who didn't implement or didn't follow the social distancing rules for allowing the virus to reach and take the life of my loved one. I already know people in both camps. People who've lost loved ones to this virus and people whose finances are threatened. So love really is the greatest need. To love and not to hate. Especially when it's counterintuitive which is probably why the next section in the Sermon on the Plain is about loving our enemies. Because when we are stressed, hurt and fear translate into anger, which translates into enmity, animosity, and hatred all too easily. Anger is always a secondary emotion. If you want to address anger, address the source of the underlying hurt and fear. Which brings us to a couple admonitions. First, social justice is not a first order priority for privileged Christians. It should be. When the going gets tough, we tend to take care of ourselves first and are more willing to jettison our care of the vulnerable in our society. When I was a kid, uh, my dad disciplined us even when we were tired and hungry and grumpy. I find myself now as a dad sometimes disciplining my kids when they're tired and they're hungry and they're grumpy. Because that's when discipline matters. When it's hard to do the right thing. When it's hard to be good. So it's for just such a time as this when we're tempted to care for ourselves and drop our care for the vulnerable, that we need to be more vigilant. And it's for just such a time as this that Jesus tells us to love our enemies, the folks that we would like to blame for our problems. Second admonition, there's a growing library of books on the damage that's been done by well-intentioned folks trying to meet needs. If you need recommendations for some resources, let me know. I'll try to include some in the PDF. But be well-informed. Be responsible. Be smart. Be humble. Don't be a hero. If you're meeting a need, try and do something with and not for someone else. And never to them. With others rather than for them, never to them. Finally, some suggestions for where to start. Who are the triage nurses among us? I mean, for this situation. I would suggest we form a small team that uses this framework to pull and assess needs in order to prioritize our response on an ongoing basis. <clears throat> if you're not a member here at the Calgary Church of Christ, I'd suggest the same thing in whatever organization you're a part of. Form a small team that uses this framework or something similar to pull and assess needs in order to prioritize them and your response and do it on an ongoing basis.
Second, partner with those who are already caring for the vulnerable. In our case, it's groups like the mustard seed here in town. Third, look for the gaps. We worked with an organization in Japan that that was their primary strategy. Uh, in the early days after the disaster, uh, they knew that the government was going to emphasize certain areas and focus on certain needs. So they said, let's not go there. Let's find the places that the government isn't going and we'll focus on those aspects. That's a good strategy. Partner with those who are already doing good work and then also look for the gaps and then focus on that. And then fourth and finally, just ask. Ask your community, what's hard right now? They'll probably let you know. And then, again, run through the triage question, questions. Listen, I want to close with a statement about the church. The church is so well suited to address so many aspects of each of these areas. You want to talk about physical needs? The church, via Basil the Great in the 4th century, invented the civilian hospital. We came up with it. And then we were the primary medical caregivers until the early modern period. Even now, uh, the most well-known relief organization is probably the Red Cross. There's a reason it's called the Red Cross. There's a there's Christian teachings and origins in that. The church has been involved in this kind of stuff for a long time. Financial. I know from years of fundraising that the church can almost always come up with a few nickels to rub together if the cause is good. Social. We are a community founded on the sacrificial love of God. At our core is the ethic of love and the call to put the interest of others first. We are called to be peacemakers and ambassadors of reconciliation. When we are who we're meant to be, we do community really well. Mental health. I briefly addressed this two weeks ago, but we have a wealth of resources in our faith. Prayer, gratitude and lament, hope, love, joy, the solace of the scriptures, the support of an immense community, and the security of an unshakable God. So be the church and go and meet a need. Will you pray with me? God, this situation um, is really big. And it's laden with uncertainty and anxiety and real suffering. Some of it that's already happening and some of it that's probably yet to come. And we know that there's going to be lots of good and lots of blessings uh, come through this as well, Lord. But we also know it's going to be hard. And it is hard for, for some already. Those who've lost loved ones, those who are watching all of their hard work being undone. Uh, those who are fighting hard to do the right thing and being criticized, criticized the whole time. So we lift up our leaders, we lift up the medical care workers, and I, I pray, uh, I lift up the church to you, God, that you would use us 
as a as a whole organization uh, that we would mobilize that that we would do amazing things by your will by your grace give us the wisdom uh, to discern and to prioritize the needs and our response to those needs around us and then god give us the courage and the strength to respond appropriately to the things that you lead us to we pray this jesus in your name amen i hope you join us next week as we address the question of crafting a vision for what things might look like according to god's will i hope you'll share this with anyone who might benefit from it Thanks, and God bless.